What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Holy City Hoops podcast. We got another good episode for you today. Brian Mull is my guest on the program this week, and you know if Brian is on, we are talking CAA. If you don't know who Brian is, he is a college basketball writer contributing to such outlets as The Athletic, College Insider, Forbes, everywhere else in between, and being a Wilmington, North Carolina guy, he is especially plugged into the CAA. In fact, he did the big Colonial Athletic Association preview for the Blue Ribbon magazine this offseason. So he spoke with all the league coaches this year, and he has some really good insights that he's going to share with us today. So just as we did last year, Brian and I are going to go through the preseason poll from teams 10 through 1, give our thoughts on each one, and then talk briefly about preseason all-conference teams, player of the year. If you missed it, Grant Riller is the preseason favorite for player of the year, so we talk a lot about him. I am not going to chat much longer because there's lots to get to, but a quick programming note. You may have noticed that this episode came out a little later than usual. That is because we're going to be mixing up the release schedule a bit until conference play begins. Uh, Typically, we release the show on Tuesdays, but the Cougars play an exhibition game Tuesday night, so rather than previewing that game we'd rather recap it that's kind of the case during non-conference play the games are all over the calendar so we'll release a pod on days that make sense rather than sticking to a hard and fast release schedule so make sure you are subscribed so that you get the episodes as soon as they drop and you are kept in the loop apple podcasts spotify google podcasts stitcher wherever that's all so let's throw it to me and brian to talk our caa preview for this season Brian Mole, how are you, sir? Doing well. Hope you are. I am. This is becoming uh, an annual tradition all of a sudden. I love it. Love talking a little CAA hoops. Although I think your allegiances, I think you're now doing some Big South stuff as well. That's correct. I uh, signed a contract with them a, a month or so ago to uh, write stories for them through the academic year. Uh, obviously, a lot of basketball content coming up, uh, their media day coming up here in a couple of weeks. and uh, But I will certainly be keeping an eye on the CAA, uh, being here in Wilmington as I am, and, and certainly make it over to Trask Coliseum to catch a few conference games, I'm sure. The CAA transfer bug is uh, pervasive. Hits everybody, including yourself. <laughs> Maybe it is an epidemic after all. Yeah. All right, so we'll do what we did last year. Uh, the preseason poll recently came out for the CAA. This is the official... Uh, coaches and media poll. We'll start at number 10, work our way down to number one, and we'll just give uh, our overall thoughts on this. I should note that once again, you did the Blue Ribbon season preview for the CAA, which uh, in my opinion is the only preseason magazine worth reading. You did an excellent job on that as always. So you'll give some, uh, some specific insights that maybe the commoner like myself was not tuned into. So uh, I look forward to that. Well, thank you for the kind words, and uh, I always enjoy that. Uh, talk Anytime you can talk hoops in the summer, it's kind of fun. Absolutely. All right, so let's get this started. The number 10 team, I think no question about this, is Elon. The Phoenix fired Matt Matheny after 10 years, five in the SOCON, five in the CAA. Um, just wasn't getting it done. Tyler Sebring, Steven Santa Ana, that recruiting class he kind of brought in to compete in the CAA left uh, on kind of a sour note. Now, Mike Schrage is in. He was an assistant at Duke, at Stanford, at Ohio State, 
comes in uh, very well regarded. What's kind of the vibe in Elon these days? Yeah, Mike is a guy who uh, is a familiar face to many. If maybe they didn't know his name, certainly seeing him on the bench has worked with uh, Bobby Knight and Mike Krzyzewski, obviously Johnny Dawkins, Chris Holtman. So he's worked for a, a fine roster of coaches at some terrific programs and has a lot of ties to North Carolina. Um, both of his kids were born in the state when he was at Duke and I think uh, familiar with the recruiting base here and just a guy in his early to mid forties who was ready for the opportunity to be a head coach and pretty familiar with the CAA. So I think there's some excitement. Certainly they have a, a arena there. That's uh, one of the best in the conference. That's only two years old, but uh, you nailed it. They're, they're starting at the absolute ground floor. Uh, lost a lot of kids to graduation, a couple other transfers, Nathan pretty, who was uh, their leading returning scorer at about seven points a game, opted to leave school and go to work for his brother. Uh, I was told earlier this week by a source up there. So uh, they really, uh, the expectations have to be pretty low for this season, but I think they have a, you know, a good feeling about the future. He's had some pretty talented prospects on campus already uh, through the summer and into the early fall. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, he's actually got he's already made sort of an imprint on the recruiting scene. He brought in three nice freshmen to kind of help uh, jumpstart that program. Zach Irvin, uh, who was out of Gate City, Virginia, one time teammate of Georgetown's Mac McClung. Zach was also a CFC recruit at one point or another. Uh, Hunter Woods, who was a three star prospect all the way from California. I think there was like the Stanford connection there or something with um, with Shroggy. And um, Hunter McIntosh, who was a player of the year type guy in Georgia. So it seems like the arrow is is pointing up for them. But I think it's going to they're going to take their lumps this year. Yeah, you just, uh, you know, coming in first year, a pretty established league, a lot of veterans coming back. Uh, Mike has to learn the conference. He has to become a head coach, which he's never uh, done at this level. And there's going to be an adjustment. Uh, they're, they're pretty high on the kid, Marcus Sheffield, who uh, was a grad transfer from Stanford, had some really nice games in the Pac-10, had a 35-point game against Arizona State early in his career. Uh, injuries, you know, foot injuries and that sort of thing, knee injuries kind of hobbled his career, if you will. But uh, they're certainly hopeful that he can make an impact for them this year and help them win a few games. But, you know, there aren't many games on the schedule in the CAA where you feel like you can – Pencil in a win, if you will, but I think a lot of folks will look at Elon as as a, as a time to get well if they're struggling or continue building momentum if things are rolling. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how they do this year. Like you said, they've got a beautiful arena, and um, they seem to have found their guy with with Mike. So let's move on to a team you have already mentioned, a team you are near and dear to, both literally and figuratively, UNCW. Now entering year three of the CB McGrath era. Is uh, is the seat warming up for him? I mean, we, we, we should start seeing some results uh, at some point for CB, right? Absolutely. I feel like any coach, uh, as he goes into his third year, especially at a program like UNCW that's had such success, won six conference championships, there, there needs to be marked improvement. The non-conference schedule is a little bit more manageable than it's been in the past, and uh, he's got a group of basically all his guys now that he's recruited and uh, he's going to have to produce 
um, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds with a lot of new faces, whether, uh, you know, how long it takes them to find an identity and build some chemistry. Yeah, I mean, he gets a pass in his first year for the defense taking such a step back. And I know he took ownership of that and said he was used to, you know, the UNC system and it didn't really translate at the mid-major level. But yeah, year three now, you obviously lose Devontae Kaycock. The defense did not improve from year one to year two. In fact, I think it maybe even got a little bit worse. Yeah. They were one of the worst defensive teams in the country last year. So I don't know what that identity is going to be. Um, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on Kai Taves. But um, other than that, I'm, I'm not really sure, especially with Ty Gadsden being injured. Yeah, they, they brought in a lot of new faces. Mike Okaru, uh transfer from Florida, who was a former top 150 recruit out of Raleigh. Uh, a grad transfer, Carter Skaggs, who who averaged seven points a game at Washington State. That's a shooter. So there are some new pieces. Uh, they, a couple of, they did bring in a couple of good freshmen from Greenville, North Carolina, from two different high schools there, each of whom won state championships, or one from Greenville, one from just outside of Greenville. But um, expect them to play fast. Expect them to be a much more perimeter-oriented, uh, four guards around one post. But uh, they're real thin inside, and – you know, there's uh, there's a lot of question marks they're going to have to answer early in the season and uh, try to build some momentum heading into the conference. What do you think of of Kai Taves? Obviously, he was second in the country in assists as a true freshman last year. He hit some threes against Charleston, but he is actually not that great of a three point shooter, at least statistically. Is is that what what CB and and yourself see as his next kind of development? Yeah, he has to prove that he can score. I think it's essential as a point guard in modern college basketball that if you become a guy who's just a so-called pass-first guy, eventually those passing lanes are going to shut down to a degree because teams aren't going to respect your ability to make a shot or get to the basket and finish. And he hasn't really proven at this point that he can do either of those consistently. Uh, there's some competition there as well. The, the freshman Shaquem Phillips, highly regarded, really fast, and uh, I know they've had some good battles I've heard already through the summer and in preseason. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. I could see them playing together perhaps, or, or maybe even Phillips uh, ultimately winning, winning that position. If, if, if Kai can't prove that he can consistently score, uh, you know, CB made a comment the other day that Kai's still doing that thing where he kind of drives in the lane and then whips around a, a pass, you know, out to the three point line. And he wants to see him go in there and draw contact and get to the free throw line and, mm -hmm. and, and finish around the basket. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting that there's actually some, some competition for that. I would have thought he was a, a shoe in for, for the starting point guard role. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's all we really need to cover with, with UNCW. I think these Elon and UNCW should kind of unanimously be the bottom two teams. But once we got up, get up into the, eight through four region is is really where you see things sort of get uh clogged and, and mixed up so in the preseason poll drexel was eighth i would have them higher i would have them above the team we're going to talk about next the dragons finished at sixth last year but they do lose their top three scores uh troy harper alihan demir and trevor john who is a sharpshooter what are your what's your take on the dragons well it starts with cameron winter who's phenomenal and, and to have a, a point guard coming back who was a rookie of the year, double-figure scorer, and really the guy that they went to down the stretch 
into the lineup early because of some injuries and then uh, just really emerged as the guy they were running their offense through. And he, he was able to handle that role. So that's a great starting point for any coach, for any team. And, you know, they've got some guys that folks aren't talking about a whole lot, like Zach Walton, who was right at double figures before he suffered a season injury early in the season. You know, he's kind of that prototypical big wing who can who can score a little bit inside and outside, play as a small ball four, and and give you some versatility spreading the floor with four three-point shooters. So th- they have some questions to answer inside. They've, they, they don't really have a proven guy down low. Um, losing Demir hurts. But the Dragons will be dangerous. I don't know if they'll be consistent because, again, they're another one of those teams that's really not – forged any kind of identity on the defensive end but they will be a dangerous team especially in the DAC which we all know is a tough place to play that team plays hard really hard I mean we all know about their comeback against Delaware when they set the NCAA record for the largest comeback ever and I think that spirit still lives on and I might be biased because the two regular season games against Charleston were both huge comebacks by the Dragons at the end went one and one in those games but I just feel like the the team kind of has that Philadelphia mentality. They're going to play hard. Hopefully their defense is a little bit more on the same page. Uh, And another guy who comes back that many may have forgotten about last year is Kirkley. So him in the backcourt with Cameron Winter is is a pretty good combination. No question. And I did forget to mention James Butler inside. He's certainly uh, a a physical, you know, 6'8", 240 presence who can score around the basket and get on the boards on both ends so he does give them a interior presence there and um i think they have 12 i think zach said the other day they have 12 wins where they've come back from a 10 point deficit or larger in in his two years there i believe it yeah very resilient as you said and uh with with a little bit more consistent firepower on the offensive end they're going to be they're going to be dangerous and uh i know their fans aren't real happy with being picked eighth and rightfully so yeah, I mean, in this section of teams, this middle tier, I feel like it's really just a question. It's how many question marks do these teams have and maybe who has the fewest question marks. It's almost been the theme of the CAA this past summer was I don't feel super confident about any team. And it's just, I mean, my personal rankings would just be reflective of who has the fewest question marks because every team has them. No question. And we've gone into this this time of the year so many times with one or two or three clear-cut teams, and you can maybe make that argument this year, but again, uh, those teams have a lot of holes to fill, each of them at key positions. So uh, I think parity may be the word, uh, 12, and it could be one of those 12-6 and three-way ties for first place type of seasons. Well, you just mentioned holes to fill, and that is a, a nice segue to our next team, the William & Mary Tribe who, like I said, I would not pick them seventh. I think they're closer to the the basement uh, to no fault of their own because this team was probably going to be the maybe near unanimous favorite to win this CAA last year. So we all know the story. Uh, we don't need to harp on it too much. Tony Shaver out after 16 seasons at William & Mary. Dane Fisher, former GMU assistant, comes in. And uh, with Tony's departure, there was a number of transfers out I think you could probably make a compelling second team all CAA with the guys who transferred <laughs> out this year, but the the William and Mary guys who have left Justin Pierce, he went to UNC, uh, Matt Milan, who I think went to UCF, um, yep. LJ Owens, Chase Audige, some, some talented freshmen. 
all transfer out, but they do still have one guy, Nathan Knight, who could be in the running for player of the year. I just went on a long spiel, but uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about the William & Mary tribe. Yeah, they have a lot of questions in the backcourt. And we, as we know, I mean, that's just no way to enter a season uh, without proven guard play. It's hard to have a lot of confidence. But with the guy like Nathan Knight, who demands so much attention, and he's going to be playing beside a seven-footer in Andy Van, Van Vliet, excuse me, who is more of a perimeter-based guy. And it's going to be interesting to see how they work together in a league that has become predominantly driven by four-guard, three-guard, and four-guard lineups over the last couple of seasons. They, they will certainly have nights where they're pretty good on the interior and able to overpower some teams on the glass, I would think. And, and, and certainly Knight is a special talent. We've not seen many post players like him in the CAA uh, ever, as far as that goes. He he might average something like 24 and 10 this year. Um, I think he's going to get double teamed a lot, but he is right up there, I believe, with Riller in terms of just pure talent in the CAA. It's a lock for first team all CAA, and I think he's going to make a run at, at player of the year as well. And yeah, Van Vliet is just the type of guy I would pair with him. True seven footer, but he can stretch it out and, and shoot from three. The front court does look pretty good um in the backcourt i guess it's luke lowey and question marks around that because um they, they did lose a lot yeah they brought in a couple of grad transfers uh they the kid jahar williams has shown some flashes but didn't play much down the stretch last year uh yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be uh real interesting to watch that they've got a kid from latvia who they're they're pretty high on with his understanding of the game and the way he fits in their style, but he's a freshman coming over from Europe, and there's probably going to be an adjustment there. So uh, again, they're they're going to be a tough out on Knights if uh, if Knight and Van Vliet can give them a interior defensive presence. I think uh, that that could make it difficult on on some other teams to to score consistently in the paint. Samantha Hughie. What are you doing? Why? <laughs> why? Why? Why this summer? You had a championship team. Just all you had to do yeah. was let it unfold. But uh... wait another year. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Last thing on uh, on William and Mary. It's just going to be weird not to see that uh, that tribe motion offense that we've come to know with with Shaver. I don't know what it's going to look like under Fisher, but tune in for Nathan Knight. No doubt. Moving on to number six, this is a team that did not get any first place votes, which I found surprising given that JMU and Delaware got some. Towson, uh, a team that hasn't been great the last two years, had a, a losing record under Pat Scary each of the last two years, but contrary to much of the conference, they bring just about everybody back. Uh, one of those guys is Brian Fobbs, who in his first year with the Tigers last year, had an all-conference type year, fifth leading scorer in the conference. He's going to be the the straw that stirs their drink. Yeah, he's phenomenal. A, a high character leader, a great kid, can get on the glass, which Pat Scary loves, obviously, and uh, had 13 games of 20 points or more, so certainly is unafraid to have the ball in his hand late in the games. I know the Tigers aren't happy at all. They, they felt like they would be picked in the top three or four in the offseason, and mm -hmm. um with what because of what they had coming back but I think the, the concern with Towson is the same it's been too often in recent years is can they make shots yeah I mean yeah. the the CAA has become the top offensive league in the country by in many measures uh points per possession and and 
shooting percentages, and Towson just has not been able to keep up on that end. They're going to have to score more consistently. Uh, 68 points a game just probably isn't going to be enough to win, you know, to put yourself in that upper tier. So if, if they can show a little bit more cohesion on the offensive end, I think we'll, we know they'll rebound, they'll be tough, and they do have guys who've been through been through the battle. I think the, the, the key guy there is is Timberlake, the uh, redshirt freshman who, who basically was a starter or playing starter minutes early and then suffered a stress fracture. Uh, he's, he's a big, solid, tough wing who uh, is going to factor in, probably start from day one. So I think he and Fobbs could be a dangerous, dangerous tandem in the backcourt. Towson definitely seems to to go against the grain uh, compared to the rest of the CAA. They are definitely a team that does not need to work on their defense. Their defense is always pretty good. But yes, uh, we know from watching Pat Scary teams uh, throughout his tenure at Towson, sometimes the best offense for them is a missed shot and an offensive rebound bully ball type strategy. Um, they're a team I watch a lot being up here in D.C. I usually go to the, the Towson-Charleston game. And it is always chippy. It is always <laughs> bumping and bruising. And it's just two teams rolling around in the mud. So, um, yes, if they could have some cohesion on offense, I would feel a lot more confident about them. They do play in the Charleston Classic this year. Uh, so fans down there uh, can, can check them out. They open against Xavier. Uh, and I think after that, we'll, we'll have a better idea of, of how they look. No, no doubt. Uh, they, they, they're, they're kind of at that point where they need to prove it. Uh, that, you know, you could... Just no one should be surprised if they have a good season, but they, they have to prove it and, and they have to, you know, that Charleston Classic would be a terrific place for them to uh, at least pick up a win and, and be competitive in the other two games and show that they, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to turn the corner this year. Absolutely. All right, let's move into the top five here. Now we're into the teams that are getting first place votes. So number five in the poll was Delaware. Probably number four for me if I had to kind of restack these would have definitely been higher had Ithiel Horton stuck around. Uh, instead, he is now at Pitt late transfer uh, transferred a few weeks into summer school. I think this team has always gotten better under Martin Inglesby. They had a winning record last year. They took Hofstra to uh, overtime in the CAA tournament last year. They do lose um, besides Horton, my man, Eric Carter, who is the, the, uh, the professor inside, so to speak, fundamental player, but those guys who, Inglesby was kind of building around Ryan Allen and Kevin Anderson. Those guys are growing up and they have a lot of nice transfers who are now eligible. They do. Uh, Allen and Anderson, a terrific combination. Both have battled injuries throughout their respective careers, but I know Allen returned to practice recently and is full strength after sitting out the whole summer and missing their trip to the Bahamas. And the, the transfers are really expected to make an impact, starting with Nate Darling, who was terrific in two seasons at UAB. Really a shooter down there, but uh, according to Inglesby, has diversified, played point guard on the scout team last season, uh, going against the top guys every day in practice, and is another guy that they have on the perimeter who can who can create. Feels like all those guys are interchangeable, can play off of one another, play well together. Uh, maybe Horton wanted to dominate the ball a little bit, and uh, that's not really the, you know, what they're aspiring to do up there in Newark. Uh, they're going to shoot a lot of three-pointers. And, you know, they get the big kid from Villanova, Dylan Painter, eligible uh, just in time for conference season. And he gives them a big bruiser up front. So 
I'm, I'm, I've always been high on Martin Inglesby. He's had some setbacks, yet he's continued to grow that program in spite of losing some key guys. And I feel like this year it comes to fruition for them. I, I picked them third in Blue Ribbon, and I'm going to stand by that. Very nice. Yeah, I've heard great things about Painter. I think you mentioned in your preview that he kind of dominated their international trip this summer. So he might be the top newcomer this season, or or could be Darling. And the Allen and Anderson... I might take that core over the JMU core, who's, you know, both of them have kind of come up uh, around the same time. Um, so let's talk about JMU, um, unless you have anything else on Delaware. No, no, let's, let's okay. go up to uh, sometimes snowy Harrisonburg. Yeah, let's, let's move on to Harrisonburg. I picked JMU as sort of a sleeper team last year, and they let me down. So <laughs> that is why I picked Delaware over them, and I am holding my breath until... Lou Rowe and uh, the Dukes prove otherwise because I believe I picked them fifth last year and said they they were the most likely to kind of move into the top three and they finished eighth. It was a close eighth, but they did finish eighth uh, last season. They did win a game in the CAA tournament. Matt Lewis is uh, a first team preseason guy. Darius Banks, preseason second team guy, both juniors now. Deshaun Parker was an all freshman guy last year, but I think this is another team that I'm kind of waiting for them to prove it because while they were a tough out last year, they still have those head scratching losses. So I'm, I'm, I'm still out on JMU for now. Yeah, I agree. And, and here's, here's the problem I have with JMU and I, and I love their talent uh, going, going down the list and, and Lou has stacked solid recruiting classes one on top of the next in his time there. But the problem I have is when he took the job, he said he was going to build build it on defense, which is admirable and, and certainly what you need to get to the top of the CAA or any conference. And they just have not been able to show any progress on that end. And in fact, they, they, they got worse last year as the season went on. And some of that could be attributed to a lack of depth, but they have to show the toughness and, and the consistency on the defensive end to, to be able to, to travel, uh, night in and night out, you know, defense and rebounding travel. And, and, and they've just been inconsistent because uh, they, they've had nights where they just couldn't stop anyone. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think this is a huge year for, for Lou and their program that they, they've, they've got to uh, win some of those close games and, and just be more consistent on the defensive end, uh, kind of building on that identity, whether it's a pressing team or just a aggressive half court defense, uh, just find, find what they do well and, and, and he feels like he has the bodies, you know, to, to, to have some depth and, and hold guys accountable on the defensive end. But we're, that remains to be seen. Yeah, it's, it's hard to have too much faith in the Dukes right now. Lou Rowe entering year four is 34 and 64 as the JMU head coach. And their non-conference every year is a cakewalk. So I don't know. I, I totally believe they have the returning talent. There is definitely talent there. And it is mostly upperclassmen talent now. So let's see it happen. Um, they're a tough team, but let's see some consistency and not as much sloppiness on offense uh, from the Dukes. Yeah. Eventually you just have to win some basketball games. And uh, you know, his predecessor, Matt Brady did that and, and did that for a while. And what was a much stronger CAA uh, they let him go. And uh, Lou, Lou is uh He's, he's brought in the talent. Now that he's got to turn that into victories. Uh, that, that's a team that should feel like they can win 20 games this year because, as you mentioned, their schedule allows for you know nine or ten non-conference wins. 
win some games. I've been told that's the goal. <laughs> All right, let's get to the good stuff. Top three teams. I think these teams are in a tier by themselves. Um, they also happen to be the same top three teams from last year. So in order, we'll start at number three with the Northeastern Huskies, your reigning CA champions. They lose a lot. Obviously, Vasa Pusica is gone. Gresham has transferred to Georgia, their point guard. Sean Osius, who is their Swiss Army Knife guy, probably the best defender of Grant Riller in the conference for, for my money. Anthony Green, who is a really talented big man who had a great senior year. But they kind of reload. Bolden Brace is a guy, along with his teammate uh, Jordan Rowland, who I think are first-team All-CAA-type talents. Maxime Borsico, who many people may have forgotten, is back after missing most of last year. Thomas Murphy, some of these guys who were coming off the bench last year are kind of moving into the rotation, and you have to trust that Bill Cohen is going to pull the right switches. Yeah, Bill Cohen runs a program up there. You know, he is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the veteran of this all yeah of all CAA coaches. Now he's been in the league. Now he is, yeah, yeah, been in the league uh, since 2006, and he has built a program that can withstand some losses. That's part of college basketball. Probably had one or two that he may not have fully expected in the off season, but uh, he develops his guys and he figures out a way every year to uh, kind of match his personnel. Recently, they've been phenomenal at not only making three-pointers, but taking away uh, other teams' opportunities. And I think Brace had one of the best performances in CAA tournament history last year in the championship game with his play, with the game plan, and then his execution from working within that Hofstra zone and the way he just picked it apart and made the right decision one time after another, and Hofstra really had no answer for him almost as a point forward. Uh, you know, he's a he's a terrific player. He may not score enough points to make first team all league, but he is as valuable a player, I think, as there is in this conference. He's really good, and he's been really good since his freshman year, which I think overlapped with TJ Williams. He's just, yeah, he's a gamer. He's really, really good. And then Jordan Rowland can fill it up. I mean, that guy is one of the better three-point shooters in the league. I probably would have taken him, I probably would have put him on my first team between those two and, and the supporting cast. Plus, you know that they're going to play good defense. You know that they're going to be well-coached. You touched on something in your preview the point guard situation where coach Cohen has always had good point guards, but there's sort of, um, we don't know what's going to happen there. What, what are your thoughts? I think the freshman Tyson Walker, three-star kid out of Westbury, New York. I feel like it's his job. Um, the transfer from Dartmouth, the grad transfer from Dartmouth has been a little banged up from what I understand. And Walker has been impressive since he's come on campus. And, and with having a guy like brace, and a guard like Roland around him, maybe Cohen feels comfortable. And he's not—he's never been afraid to, to put a rookie in there if he's capable. And I, I feel like he, it's, he's going to blend in there and not have to carry the entire load from a playmaking standpoint, but be able to uh, you know pick his spots and develop as the season goes on. So there'll be a little bit of an adjustment there. Obviously, Gresham would have been in that slot had he come back. But I, I think... Uh, you know, the Huskies, will, they always play a solid non-conference schedule. They'll be tested. They might not have a gaudy record by the time mm -hmm. uh, conference play starts, but they'll be prepared. And uh, look, Bill Cohen, uh, nobody enjoys matching up with Bill Cohen. 
uh, you know, the, the, he's uh, he's yeah. universally respected within this conference, and even more so, you know, across college basketball. I think folks who really know the game and um, his, his teams are always prepared, and he he puts them in the best opportunity to win. And I, I think that, that you know, I picked them to win the conference. Certainly, uh, not didn't feel tremendous about it. I had to pick someone, and uh, I just think by by the end of the season, they're going to be awfully difficult. They always tend to be. Four first place votes for Northeastern, which is a little bit perplexing. But we now move on to the team that got the most first place votes, but questionably was not the favorite in the league this year. That would be the Charleston Cougars. So I will riff on them a little bit. Uh, I think Grant Riller is the presumptive favorite for player of the year. Uh, Like I already said, Nathan Knight is right there, but I think the tribe are not going to have the wins that the Cougars will have. Replacing three starters is going to be tough. Obviously, Jarrell Brantley being the toughest to replace, but I think Jalen McManus is a solid player. Nobody's asking him to be Jarrell. I thought he had a great finish to the season. And then Zepp Jasper and Sam Miller, who figured to take the places of Marquise Pointer and Nick Harris, were both really good last year. And I think a lot of fans probably thought they outplayed uh, the veterans last season. So I'm bullish on Jasper. I'm bullish on McManus. And I think the Cougars are going to contend, which they maybe would not have last year when we didn't know what Grant Riller's status was. And we thought William and Mary and Delaware were going to be the favorites, but that's just how the cards fell. So what do you think of the Cougars? Oh, I love the Cougars. I love what Earl's done there. Uh, I have tremendous respect for the way he's built that program, the way he's continued to recruit guys that just look natural on the court. They look like they fit what he's trying to do. You know, they, you know, they're going to have athletic guys. Uh, you know, they're they're going to have guys that can play multiple positions and defend, and he's going to hold them accountable on that end. And, and we talked a little bit this this summer about you know he felt like. Uh, Maybe the last year or so, the Cougars got a little offensive happy because they could score so easily, and it's hard to be elite on both ends of the court and maybe straight away a little bit from their defensive principles because they knew that they could outscore opponents, which they certainly did on many occasions. But he's hopeful this group, uh, perhaps a little deeper. Of course, everyone thinks their team is deep in the summer, but it feels like uh, he has a few more options, especially on the wings. And uh, there'll be some good competition for playing time there and the opportunity to shuttle some guys in and out at times. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll get what you expect from Charleston. Uh, as long as Earl's there, they're not going to fall off more. And anytime you can start with a guy like Riller, that's a pretty good starting point. Uh, typically in any league, if you look at the standings and the all conference teams, there's a correlation there. And I certainly think when you've got a guard of that caliber, uh, you're going to be in the mix every night. They did take a little skid backwards uh, defensively last year, which I think a lot of people maybe didn't notice, but um, they did. They were a little bit more um, porous as a, as a defensive team last year, so it, w- it was good to hear that Earl wants to get back to those fundamentals. I'm not concerned at all about the guard play because they've got three really solid starters in Jasper, Galloway, and Riller. And then Brendan Tucker is a very lauded uh, three-star prospect who comes in. And then Jalen Richard uh, was really, really good in spurts last year. He's athletic. He can score. Um, if he can just get a little bit more consistent as a shooter, he's going to be a really, really nice weapon coming off the bench. Um, but front court depth worries me. Behind Miller and McManus is a lot of unproven guys. 
Osinachi Smart and Samba Njai haven't played much in their careers. Uh, so, you know, one twisted ankle from from Sam or from Jalen could could be trouble. And I know you tweeted about this today, about the interior defense with Brantley on and off the court. Yeah, I mean, he was such a, such a factor. I mean, obviously getting drafted, uh, the NBA scouts saw the same thing we saw night in and night out, just with his uh, size, quickness, strength, athleticism, able to really cover anybody when he, and you could tell on those nights when you saw Jarrell Brantley and, and he felt a challenge and put his mind to the defensive end. I mean, nobody, nobody was going to get anything easily against him. Always a force on the boards to end possessions and keep the other team from getting other opportunities around the basket. So uh, yeah, huge disparity there in their numbers from last year. Of course that's last year, uh, but they're going to have to, one of these guys is going to have to step up and give a little bit of rim protection. And, 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 you know, Brantley was so valuable because, you know, in the modern game, there's so many screens set on the ball where a big guy has to cover a guard, at least for, for a few dribbles, contain him. And, and he could certainly do that. And, you know, the, some of these other guys are going to have to show that they have that same ability uh, to keep the Cougars from getting exposed and giving up some easy baskets. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cougars had some, some head scratching losses at the beginning of the year. I think it is going to be sort of an adjustment period for them. And one of the things that Earl talked about with me was these guys now, besides Riller, haven't faced much adversity. They weren't part of that core recruiting class that came in when when the team was at rock bottom. Jalen McManus is probably going to go down as one of like the winningest players in school history, along with Grant Riller. So um, I think those younger guys might get caught off guard a couple times. We saw it last year in like the JMU game where they all of a sudden fell into a hole and um, replacing three seniors is tough. So I wouldn't be surprised if Charleston struggles a little bit early, but I do think they have the talent to uh, to kind of hit their stride later in the season. No doubt. And, and you're right. Uh, absolutely nailed it there. I mean, they, they've had a lot of guys, a core group who made winning plays and on different nights, it was different guys. And, you know, certainly Riller has been one of those guys, but, but I always felt like in the last two minutes in a tight game, Brantley was such a weapon on both <laughs> ends of the court. Uh, Earl was, was, was very unafraid of running plays for him and getting him in matchups that he could exploit. And Chile before that was a guy that could just will you to a victory by making a play, getting fouled, whatever. And um, these guys are going to have to, somebody's going to have to step up out of this group. And because that's what it takes in a league that is known for, close games and one and two possession games that's you know coaching's great at that point but often it just comes down to who's got a player that can make go make a play and uh Riller is going to get the lion's share of the attention from defenders certainly uh until other guys step up definitely well let's move on to the preseason quote-unquote favorites and why they will fall behind the Cougars in the standings and that's the Hofstra pride <laughs> um your regular season champs last year and they lose the two-time player of the year in Justin Wright Foreman. But this is not typical that you see a regular season champ lose a player of that high of a usage and then still come back the next year as the favorite. But Eli Pemberton, to me, is a lock for first-team All-CAA, at least here in the preseason. Uh, Desher Bowie, great point guard, defensive player of the year last year. And the rest of the guys around Wright Foreman uh, all come back and that's a good offense that Joe Mahalik runs. So um, if we're talking about question marks, they definitely have one in replacing Wright Foreman, but a lot of really solid guys up there in New York. 
Yeah, and nobody's going to replace him. I mean, he was an unbelievable shot maker. Joe laughed. He said there were times when there weren't any plays. It was just Justin go make a play. And uh, that was a nice luxury for him to have on the sidelines. This year, it's probably going to have to be a little bit more structured. He just needs all of his guys that they're returning to give him 10 or 20% more productivity to kind of close that window. And Jalen Ray is a guy that uh, is going to probably start and has been terrific from everything I've heard through the summer and is really wired to score. I don't know that, I don't know this. I don't know if Pemberton is wired to be the guy. He seems like a, an mm -hmm. excellent number two guy and, and certainly one of the best players in this conference, but does he have, you know, the skill set and the, to go make a play to create for himself consistently and, and to take on that role because they're going to need someone to do it because there was no questions in the, in the huddle, you know, last year who it was going to be and everybody in the arena knew it and more times than not, he was still successful. So uh, that's, that's a big question mark. Who, who, who will be their guy, their go-to guy in, in what's, you know, again, certain to be a lot of close games. And then Isaac Conti, the transfer from Georgia, he's got to prove that he can, he can be a legitimate inside threat for them, both on offense and defense. And uh, he's a little rugged, a little raw on the offensive end but apparently has developed. We'll see if that translates to the games. Yeah, Conti seems to be the guy in the middle for them if they go four out, one in. And I don't know too much about him, but yeah, I mean, I trust Joe Mahalik. That zone defense that they run seemed to kind of hold up last year uh, for most of the year. So I'm I'm fine with, with any of these three teams being the favorite. And if it's Hofstra, you know, so be it. I mean, they were such a juggernaut on offense. Uh their defense only had to be average. It reminded me of some of the, the University of North Carolina teams that won the national championship. Like people around here would, uh, you know, rag on Roy for his defense. And I said, look, when you got five guys that can go get 20 points, your defense only has to be so good. And that's kind of the way Hofstra was. I mean, they had the best offense since Ken Palm started in 2002, even better than the UNCW team a couple of years ago that was extremely explosive. So, uh, they're, they'll probably drop off a little bit there, and uh, but they were solid enough on the defensive end, and if that combination will will certainly keep them in the mix. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches would love to have three guards with the experience of uh, of Bowie and, and and Ray and Pemberton, for sure. Definitely. Let's move on to the first team. Um, so I think four of these guys are kind of no brainers: uh, Riller, Knight, Pemberton, as I mentioned. Brian Fobbs, one of the, the best returning players, and then Matt Lewis. Is there anybody in that list that you would sub out? I had Ryan Allen over Fobbs, and uh, I wrestled with those, actually with, with Allen, Lewis, and Fobbs a little bit to try to figure out which two. And uh, I don't think I flipped a coin, but I may have. Uh, they're certainly all worthy. I just think Ryan Allen... To me, he's one of those guys that he's open as soon as he comes in the gym. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that can go get 30, 25, 30, if, if you need him to. And, uh, you know, last year uh, battled through injuries, played the last three weeks of the season with a broken bone in his foot. And assuming he's healthy and, and, and full strength this year, I just I think he's going to be the, the difference maker for the Blue Hens, which is why I'm so high on them. Uh, Fobbs has been terrific. He's been he was terrific on a bad team. Uh, can yeah. he be terrific? Can he be terrific on a on a championship caliber team? That's that's a good question. It's a good point. 
If I were to replace one of these guys, I think I'd take Matt Lewis off and put either Jordan Rowland or Cam Winter in there. I wanted to put Winter on the first team, but that's difficult for a sophomore. So maybe uh, Rowland or even Brace for that last spot. I think Northeastern's going to win a lot of games, and both those guys are really good. So that would be my only my only uh, swap out. But I think um, it's pretty clear who the who the top players are. And we think of Brace as a guy that doesn't score a lot. Well, he didn't necessarily have to because they had other options the last couple of years. But, I've, you know, he scored 40 against Elon as a freshman. Yeah. I think he made 10 threes on the road. He had a game-winning basket from behind the backboard against Charleston as a freshman. Yeah. So he certainly is not unafraid to, uh, to put some points and put some shots up. And uh, I, I would expect him to average – 14 or 15 points and possibly five assists and five rebounds. I could see him having yeah. that kind of a year. And, and like you said, if he, if he does that, that's certainly a all first team, all conference caliber season. So who's your player of the year? Are you going Riller? Or are you going Knight? Or are you throwing a wild card out there? I'm going Riller. I, I just believe yeah. it's, I believe guards uh, have more of a greater impact on the game. It's easier to scheme against a big man. I think Charleston's going to be in the race until the last game of the regular season and, and certainly one of the uh, teams that can win the tournament championship in D.C. And I just think that that will ultimately sway the voters in his direction. Although Nathan Knight is going to have some ridiculous games this year. Uh, I mean, you can just feel it. Like he may have a 30-20 game or, uh, you know, and block five shots. I mean, he's going to do some things that, that haven't been done in this league in a very long time. Yeah. I think you picked... Did you pick Riller uh, preseason last year? I think you did. I did. Yes. Okay. I did. Over right Foreman, Jerry Beach has never let me hear the <laughs> end of that. Uh, I just, uh, I was in Charleston for the game, his sophomore season against William and Mary. And he always does well against William and Mary. Yeah. And, and, and certainly some other games as well, but uh, I just uh, have been a big fan of his from day one. I think he's just a terrific player who has improved and diversified his game uh, can play on or off the ball I think he's an underrated defender most of the metrics will prove that, that he's a guy who who matched up with you know uh, the other team's better guards or he, he certainly does a good job of containing them so I think he's a complete player and uh, uh, he'll be a he'll be tough to beat as the player of the year this year for sure couldn't have said it better myself I think I think uh, Coach Grant is going to deploy him as a point guard a little bit more, and he he showed some progress in that area in, in his passing last season. He says he worked really hard on his three-point shooting, which took a dip last year, so it seems like he's going to have all the tools. He's definitely going to have the usage, and I think Charleston's going to have the wins, so I would pick Grant Riller as well. Anything else on the CAA, Brian? What, what has you excited about the league this year? Well, I think it's cool that the conference tournament is uh... – Moving to D.C., not probably the favorite choice of Charleston fans, but I do think uh, having a central neutral location is an advantage for the league and what's, uh, by all accounts, a, a nice you know arena that's the right size for, for a conference like the CAA. So I think that's a, uh, you know, that's an interesting turn of events there. And I want to see what the league can do in the non-conference. Uh, so much of your ranking, whether it's Ken Palm or Ned or what Sagarin or what have you, is based on 
how you fare in the non-conference. And, and frankly, last year, the CAA just didn't have enough non-conference wins and had a few bad losses and, you know, was ranked in the twenties in Ken Palm for the first time, you know, really ever, if I'm not mistaken. And mm-hmm. it'll be interesting because uh, I think those of us who follow the league and watch the league knew that there was a ton of talented players. And then the NBA draft validated that feeling. So I, it, I, I'm going to be watching the league very closely in the first six weeks. There's a lot of opportunities there for, for marquee wins and just solid wins over other good mid-major programs from top conferences. So I, I would think that, uh, you know, that, that would, uh, that'll be interesting to, to kind of follow in November and December before we get into the heat of the battle. Definitely going to be some parody in the league this year. Definitely not a favorite. I was talking to, athletic director matt roberts the other day name drop and um (laughs) it seems like the conference is sort of on like a four-year plan wherein we we saw all the transfers out this past summer and now it's sort of a new new group coming in and the league seems to be hoping for more consistency more like you said out of conference wins boost some of those rankings for the conference as a whole they're hoping to get more exposure for their most talented players so Hopefully the the league kind of recovers from uh, what was a dip in out of conference competition and just does a little bit better overall. And hopefully we see some of these younger players start to step up and should be an an interesting conference race. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you had three teams last year that won 23 games or more, but only one other team with a winning record. And that was Delaware at 17 and 16. So that was unusual. I mean, typically you have five or six teams with winning records when it's all said and done. So I think uh, even the teams at the bottom are going to be dangerous. I mean, maybe not Elon this year, this might not be their year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they win one, they're not supposed to at some point. And, uh, you know, I think Wilmington at home could have nights where they look pretty good. Uh, and uh, William and Mary certainly with Nathan Knight, it, nobody's going to look forward to matching up against their big guys. So, yeah, look at a balanced league, a, a, a tight race, a lot of close games, and a lot of excitement. Yeah, would not surprise me at all if one of those teams at ten, nine, or eight all of a sudden became a contender. I mean, UNCW did it a couple of years ago. Uh, there's nothing holding those teams back, even you know whoever Drexel, JMU. So yeah, should should be interesting to see how the league shakes itself out. Probably going to come down to the wire once again, and I think we're going to have a good time following it. So, Brian, thanks again for coming back here. Thanks for chatting CA hoops with me. Anything you want to tell the people about while you're here? Uh, not at all. Uh, just thanks, Tommy, for having me. Always fun to talk CAA. You can uh, follow my meanderings and uh, ramblings on uh, Twitter at BG Mall this year, if you so choose, and certainly be some CAA hoops conversation there and look forward to interacting with everyone and, uh, and watching the games and uh, seeing, seeing if any of our predictions come true. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Tommy. Have a good one.